I'm Father Mitch Paqua, and welcome to EWTN Live, where we bring you guests from all around the world. Tonight, we'll talk about an exciting new outreach that is designed to help guide young men through the discernment process, to know if the Lord is calling them to the priesthood, and to help them address the challenges posed by an absence of authentic Catholic culture and formation that many Catholics today are missing. So we'll get into that conversation in a little bit, but I'd like to speak briefly with EWTN's Jim Pinto about the work of EWTN's media missionaries. Jim, what is going uh, on with the media missionaries? Wonderful to be with you. Some 15,300 now in no small part due to our meeting together and always okay. putting the word out. And so that's the word for tonight. We're calling on people to respond to this call, to be an evangelist, to yeah. be a missionary, to share the Lord Jesus Christ, the good news of the church, to do that with EWTN. Mm -hmm. At the heart of the church is this vocation. Every Catholic called to be a missionary yep. of Christ who redeems dignity. We yep. need this so desperately. Yep. We're gonna have a webinar tomorrow evening mm -hmm. um, and uh, I invite everybody to that webinar. Mm -hmm. Just go to EW10missionaries.com or 205-795-5771. Okay. And you could be a part of this webinar. Learn more about the media missionaries. Do the work of an evangelist. Those who are already media missionaries, we need for you to be online with us tomorrow evening as well. We have people on staff right now waiting for your phone call to register as a media missionary, to register for the webinar because all together we've got to build a new culture of life, marriage, family, renewal in the church. Uh, you'll receive a beautiful starter pack with uh, our schedules, our highlights about all the shows, a beautiful poster, our Christmas poster, Jesus, the light of the world, which is amazing. What a claim, I am the light of the world. Jesus, God with skin, God made poor, God with a face coming among us, what good news, and so, the, uh, John the Baptist said, I must decrease, he must increase. And I'm asking, our view is today, decrease by doing the work of evangelization. Decrease yourself by proclaiming Christ with EWTN, and you will receive. You'll receive by giving your life away, by giving Christ away. We are called for such a time as this. This is our time. This is our hour. I hope many people will respond to the inquiring about becoming priests in the church. Now is our hour. Be not afraid. Proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yep. And, you know, being a media missionary really is a good vehicle to begin evangelization. A lot of people are nervous about evangelization. Yeah. This is a way to get started and do some very simple, nice ways, and our Lord will get you going. That's Again, it's EWTNMissionaries.com, EWTNMissionaries.com. And the number to call again, 205-795-5771, or you can also send an email to EWTNMissionaries, at EWTN.com, EWTN Missionaries at EWTN.com. Thank you, Jim. Give the Great challenge. Price. Thank you. And we'll be back in a couple minutes with tonight's guest, so please stay with us. Welcome back. Our guest tonight is the head of the Avila Institute's High Calling Program. This was designed to fulfill the desire of Pope St. John Paul II to give men who feel called to the priesthood the necessary intellectual, spiritual, pastoral, and human foundation to thrive in the seminary. Let's take a look at this little clip here. Who am I and what does God wish of me? How do I discern that? 
how do I put these two together? St. Pope John Paul II had a dream in the latter half of his pontificate. He recognized that there was uh, an increase in secularization, and with that was a de-emphasis in, in what it means to be a man of God in light of our anthropology. He was looking at the man who was inquiring into the priesthood, and he saw the poverty, and that poverty was a lack of formation as a whole. The High Calling Program is an online program that is devoted to intellectual formation and personal accompaniment for men who are discerning a call to the priesthood in that initial phase. It's something that I didn't know I needed. Uh, it's helped me keep on track with my discernment and just to keep my focus on the priesthood and just learning about it and what seminary is, what celibacy is, and what prayer is. Uh, it's really helped me develop in my spiritual life and helped me in my discernment as well. The young man called today by God to take a look at a vocation like this is a young man who comes from a culture that pretty much rubs against the grain of, of a calling like this. And I think there might be some concern that the seminary can replicate everything, let's say, that the High Calling program is providing uh, through their own instruction, but I believe it fills a beautiful gap between a guy who's thinking I might be called and then actually applying to seminary. There's a gap there that needs to be fulfilled, and I think the High Calling program is a great resource to fill that gap. If I were to look back upon this past year, the highlights have been my engagement with the guys as they share with me how God has been working in their life, what God has been showing them through the subject matter that we teach. So, here to tell us more, please welcome the director of the Avila Institute's High Calling Program, Dr. Joseph Holcroft. Doctor, welcome. Good to Good, have you. Thank you for the invitation, Father. Good much, to have much you. Much appreciated. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you're welcome. And, you know, th this is important. I mean, uh, something that is very striking to me about these times is that a sense of of vocation to any lifelong vocation, yeah. a sense of calling to a, a lifelong way of living the Christian faith is not a strong value in our culture. People are not getting married, the majority of adults are not married, and we don't see so many vocations to the priesthood or to the religious life, male or female. It, people are just are not committing themselves to yeah. want, What's going on? What, what's missing? Well, really, what lies at the heart of that question, I think, is uh, the absence of the interior life, mm -hmm. the absence of prayer, uh, a crisis of faith, really. Mm -hmm. uh, because when you look more deeply into the lack of responding to the vocation that God has entrusted us with, really it's a response of faith. Um, and certainly when you look across the culture and the scope, just not here in the United States, but across the world, there's a decline in belief in God. And so when you put those things together, there's just going to be an unwillingness to surrender oneself to God, an unwillingness to commit. Mm -hmm. Here the High Calling Program devotes itself to the priesthood, but something that I certainly have come across over the past three, four years is just the unwillingness of men to commit. Uh, and so mm -hmm. uh, no doubt that's something that uh, is, is at the heart of the problem. I, I, I think that the, those two issues, a lack of faith, and by the way, the, it's interesting, the lack of faith is strong in Western society but it's not strong worldwide. You know, worldwide, faith in God is increasing, and Christianity yeah. is the fastest growing religion in the world at this point. The news tries to say otherwise. The stats tell us that we are. But the lack of willingness to commit ourselves, that's what I was saying about even marriage, hmm. committing yourself to the woman 
that has your children or the man that is the father of your children and lack of commitment to your children. Yep. This is very common in our society today. So what, one of the things that would be worth knowing is a little bit is how did this, you know, Avila Institute get going in the higher calling program? How'd you get started with that? Yeah, so the Avila Institute uh, came about, I think, roughly in 2010. It was, mm -hmm. it was an outgrowth of uh, the top sales of Dan Burke's book, Navigating the Interior Life. Mm -hmm. He saw that book as being the number one Catholic book sold and said, well, look, there's a demand here. We have to create the supply. Mm -hmm. So he did a few webinars and he saw that increase, the response increase exponentially. Uh, he started a blog with Dr. Anthony Lillis and suddenly thousands of people are trafficking this blog. And one webinar led to another and ultimately a few other members were brought onto the team and what you have is the Avalon Institute that is providing currently, uh, I don't know how many classes, but serving thousands and thousands of students across the world. And so in 2016, uh, Archbishop Gomez from the Archdiocese of LA mm -hmm. reached out to Dr. Anthony Lillis, who was the then Dean of the Seminary of St. John's down there in Camarillo, I think. Yes. Knowing that he was an associate with Dan Burke, knowing he was affiliated with the Aval Institute. So after the Ratio Fundamentalis was penned, which is this document on uh, priestly formation, uh, clergy formation, he reached out to Dr. Anthony Lillis and said, hey, can we do something about this? Can we build a program that would be at the service of forming men who are thinking about the priesthood? Initially, he was thinking about his own diocese, the Archdiocese of LA. So what then happened, Dr. Anthony Lillis reached out to about 20 of us professors who were teaching at the Avalon Institute at the time. We gathered down there in, um, in uh, Southern California. And over the weekend, we, in 2016, over one weekend, we just were kind of thrown around ideas. Many of the professors that are involved with the Avalon Institute are very involved in seminary formation and the interior life. And so as we were thrown around ideas, we more or less came up with four governing principles that would guide our teaching. Okay. And so uh, a, a teaching that was live, online, faithful to the Magisterium. Everything the Avalon Institute does is live online, faithful to the Magisterium. But what was the content for this program? So four principles, the first of which was we recognized the importance of reintroducing Jesus into the interior life. Undoubtedly, every man that comes to us has been touched by God in some way, shape or form because there's a reason why they've walked through the door of the vocation director. That's a big step for any man to take. Mm -hmm. Yet what we were finding was that that man was lacking formation in the interior life. He was lacking uh, any kind of formation in life of prayer. And so that was going to be the first principle. And really the, the reintroduction of Jesus into the interior life was a line that came from the Ratio document. So this was going to be quintessential to bring men into a deeper understanding of how to pray. You know, right now we are serving 40 plus dioceses and a handful of religious communities. And that they actually are gathering tonight, Wednesday night. And so I'm in conversation with them continuously. Mm -hmm. uh, just last week, I had another man, and this is not uncommon, Father, I had another man reach out to me and uh, he just wanted to talk about the faith and he wanted to talk about prayer and the interior life and what it's doing for him. You know, because again, no doubt that young man has been touched by God, but now he's, he's going to a deeper level because he's learning the language of prayer. He, he's understanding that, you know, prayer isn't something you compartmentalize. No, it's 24-7, 365. It's, it's praying around the clock, putting the name of Jesus on your lips. Yes, there's the Eucharist and, and all those beautiful prayers that are, that are at the source and summit of our faith, but also all of those other moments. And uh, he was beginning to understand this and you know, he shared with me, my life's changed. My life's changed. So organizing everything we do around that first principle was really quintessential for us. Uh, second was the importance of understanding that as you talk about a broken world, Father Mitch, 
I see that in a lot of the men that come to us. Mm -hmm. They're coming from broken families or broken relationships, and they're not free to discern. So what we identified was the need for healing, mentorship, and, and spiritual direction. Yeah. Some more of those uh, elements of human integration. And, and no doubt this has been a huge, huge deal for a lot of the guys. Um, because once they come to understand that they are radically loved by Jesus Christ, once they've been touched on that level, they begin to look at things differently. You know, they, they have now this new relationship with Jesus Christ. They've been touched by God in a powerful way. And they hear the challenge in prayer. Be reconciled with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Be reconciled with your mom, dad, friend, you know. And from there, uh, these men take off. You know, if uh, just as a, a, a bird is, is free to fly or a fish free to swim, when a man is healed of his broken relationships, is he free to discern? Yeah. Free to, I, I've had men call me in tears telling me that they're free to discern. And I can't help but think that there are a lot of men out there just entering the seminary without this formation, without this um, time to just spend with God, reflect with God, think about the things they need to work on. Heal, healing broken relationships that need healing. Mm -hmm. um, so this has been another big principle for us. So when we were again meeting back in 2016, uh, I tell you what, from the prayer to the interior life and the healing, uh, those, were, those were two key things we're talking about, uh, we talked about, and they're definitely playing out. Um, third would be the importance of then uh, understanding conversion and discernment as, as at the heart of, of what th they're about, you know, their vocation, right? So um, seeking clarity, again, a lot of these men come to us, they, they've been touched by God, but they can't make sense of the world, kind of going back to what you are saying earlier, they're, they're coming from a place that is very chaotic often, and they're seeking clarity, they're seeking order in their life, and so, uh, as they go through the program and they receive clarity by virtue of their, the instruction they, they receive, as well as the fellowship. There's something about the High Calling program is, as I was noting earlier, you know, we work with 40 plus dioceses and a handful of religious communities. They are journeying with men across the country, across the country because it's live online, it's in this virtual space. So you have all these men from 18 to 42 and actually this year we have men who are even older than 42 asking the same questions. Granted, all of them come from very different backgrounds, but they find something common in their discernment, in their vocational mm -hmm. uh, you know, inquiries and, and their ongoing formation. And so it becomes a kind of unexpected grace that is the fellowship they experience, even in this virtual space. And in fact, a, a young man called me earlier today and he was telling me about um, this very thing, that he's connected with two other guys. So they would see, talk to each other when they're not online. They would actually meet with uh, each other sometimes. Yeah, on the phone or if they're in a neighboring diocese, they'll, they'll connect there mm -hmm. too as well. Um, again, working with different dioceses, dioceses that send their guys to similar seminaries, they're building relationships that don't just end at the High Calling program. Mm -hmm. In point of fact, they're going to continue in the seminary where they're going, God willing, if they continue on through the application process. So uh, the, the seeking clarity, the understanding that conversion is, is seminal to vocational discernment, uh, because when you're in ongoing transformation in Christ, that's going to give you the lens to see what you need to see. Sure. And then, of course, you know, our modules on discernment itself, you know, working through the core principles and steps of discernment. And then lastly, you know, Father Mitch, the importance of uh, theology of the body and manhood in Christ, uh, getting men to a point where they um, aren't indecisive in what they want or um, unclear or just lacking conviction, um, they're challenged they're challenged to, 
to, to identify who they are as sons of God. This is always, you know, first and foremost, you are a son of God, loved by God, an unrepeatable gift by God for the world. Mm -hmm. And once men hear that, it's interesting, Father Mitch, that once men hear that they are radically loved by God and that they are an unrepeatable gift that God has chosen to glorify Him, they respond to that because it's something that they've never heard before. They're just not familiar with it. The heart responds to being loved, too, right? So, uh, ultimately, this, this, this core set of modules that we have on theology of the body, rooted in, in manhood in Christ, is, is, a, is a principle that really lays before the, the man the importance of being a man of commitment, right? Um, manhood in Christ isn't identified by uh, puberty per se or some hazing ritual, but but the willingness to, to surrender oneself, the willingness to sacrifice. Uh, this is the kind of man that the church needs today, yeah. right? If I'm on the front lines, I don't want a man next to me, or maybe even better said, leading me, who's unclear, indecisive, or lacking conviction. I want the opposite, right? I want the opposite. That's what the church needs. Yeah. And so In important. combat, you don't want <laughs> lieutenants and sergeants that are uh -uh. just trying to figure it out. Yeah. They need experience. And this is true in general in life. Um, and, and it seems, you know, that so many of the things that you're finding is just coming up against a culture that experiences a lot of pain. You know, the, the, there's a lot of lack of family in the lives of young people. The families, you know, uh, are oftentimes not intact. And that's a great strain uh, for everybody. And uh, to help such young men work through that. And, and this is something that's also very much needed for the young women who are going into religious life. Sure, sure. And I'm convinced that it's absolutely necessary for the young men and women who are called to marriage because that's what's keeping them back from marriage as well. Yeah, yep. You know, vocation as a, a, a life commitment is just not a strong value in the culture. And this is not creating strong men and strong women. You know, there, there's uh, uh, an indecisiveness and floppiness, yeah. you know, that, that goes on in people that's yeah. not healthy. Yeah, something that I experience in my conversations with the men often, and I actually was writing myself notes last year on this point, that from, you know, our program goes from September through May, and I hear in we're saying young men, but in reality, uh, men who are in their 40s too, a growing- That's kind of young <laughs> for some of us. But anyway, go on. Um, a growing conviction over the course of the year, right? And why is that taking place? Because as they study the faith, they come to understand who Jesus Christ is, right? Who who took his commitment all the way to the cross. Mm -hmm. and, they, and the deeper they go in relationship with Jesus, again, this is always at the heart of everything we teach. Doctrine is never just about something, but someone. And Jesus is always inviting us to go deeper and deeper and deeper. And so as these men come to discover who Jesus is in the heart of the church, they want to give their lives to him. Mm -hmm. And so often in the conversations I have by, uh, I have by the end of the year, they're ready to make that commitment. Yeah. They're ready to make, you know, I often get the question asked, particular to this program, you know, can you measure the success of the program? That's almost an impossible question to answer really because whether a man joins the, the seminary or not because of the high calling program, you could never know. But I will say this, I know a lot of men <laughs> across the country who have grown leaps and bounds in their faith because they have entered into uh, the heart of the church. Right? They have entered into, into the heart of the teachings of the church. 
Um, and they've done so with a mind's eye, always asking the question, what does this mean for my personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Because that is very Catholic before it's Protestant, right? Yeah. <laughs> what does this yeah, have to do with my very personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Mm -hmm. And then, Lord, where are you calling me to? Because once I have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, then I'm going to better understand not only who I am as a son of God, but then how I'm called to serve. So in some cases, men move on. Um, and praise be Jesus Christ. If, if we've helped them discern marriage, most of our men do stay, most of our men do go on to the seminary. But to your point, we need, uh, we need uh, educators, mechanics, engineers who are convicted in their faith, yep. who have a sense of purpose, who have a sense of direction, who are alive in their faith. Um, and who are, are willing to stand up over against the culture. This is where mature manhood and mature womanhood are so essential. Yeah. The culture doesn't like Jesus Christ. Yeah. They do not. Uh, they might have a vague idea, but you know, Listen to some of the people. I, there was one pro-abortion woman said, well, Mary should have aborted the baby. Yeah. You know, and they say these things. Yeah. They don't like Jesus. Yeah. Or, and in uh, the face of that, we need strong, mature adult yeah. men and women who are going to say, I love Jesus Christ. Yeah. And I will stand up for him. Yeah. This is key. Yeah, I am the way, the truth, and the, and the life, right? That's in the imperative absolute. Yeah. I'm not, you know, I'm not a way, a life, or a truth. The way, the mm -hmm. truth, and the life. And, and when men hear that, that gets them excited. Men like to be challenged, mm -hmm. right? I think we, we've slipped into this mindset and take it as far back as you want, and we've lowered the bar. <sighs> we need to keep the bar elevated, if not raise it. Men respond to challenges. Yep. I've witnessed that firsthand. And, and I, I love when I hear or receive a phone call from a guy and he just says, Father so-and-so challenged me. And man, that just woke me up. Praise be Jesus Christ. Yeah, because that's what we need. We need that challenge. I mean, you're the linguist, Father. What is challenge? Provocatio, to call forth, to call yeah. out, right? That's what we need. We need to be called forth. We need to be called out. Rise up in this hypersexualized culture of death and say, I claim Jesus Christ as my number one, and in doing so, serve the church. Serve the church. In, you know, this is what, the way you just put, put it, a hypersexualized culture of death. Think about what an odd statement that is. It's accurate, but how odd. Sexuality is oriented towards <laughs> new life, and they want that but they want it to end in death. They don't want new life. The culture is at odds with itself. Yeah. And it's an inherent kind of conflict interior to the culture. And we're saying by standing up for Jesus Christ and taking up his challenge, we are also going to take on the other challenges that flow from our love of Christ. Yeah. This is key. And too easily, uh, you know, teachers don't do what Sister Saul did yeah. when I was in yeah. third yeah. grade. <laughs> yeah. When she prepared us for First Holy Communion, it was a preparation to enter a love of Jesus. Yes. You're yes. letting Jesus in your heart. So talk to him like a friend to a yes. friend. They told yes. us that yes. in third grade, yes. in second grade. You know, this is important. What did St. Teresa of Avila say? That is not prayer simply being on terms of friends with Jesus. Yeah. And this is actually one of the first things I talk about uh, with the men during orientation. Um, understand something. Friendship is at the heart of the gospel. When did Jesus first call his disciples friends? Right? Right before he... You know, right before he, he goes to Jerusalem, right, right, right before he goes to, into the Passion. Yeah, to the I mean, Passion, right. Yeah, I mean... Uh, In, uh, it's it's St. Teresa of Avila, St. Ignatius Loyola, who tells us again and again in the spiritual exercises, speak to Jesus as a friend to a yeah. friend. Yeah. You know, this has to be key. We have to take a little break, but we want to come back and get some of your comments and your questions, so please stay with us. 
All right. If you would like to learn more about the Avila Institute's High Calling Program, you can find out more. Simply go to avila-institute.org. avila-institute.org slash high-calling slash high-calling. So avila-institute.org slash high-calling. And you'll be able to find a lot more about it. Can I give, you, you, uh, can I give you a quick second website that might yeah, be sure. easier for? Okay. Yeah, myhighcalling.com. Myhighcalling.com. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So that'd be even easier. No dashes. Yeah. <laughs> or hyphens or extra dots. You got to help us old guys. <laughs> All right, you ready for some questions? Sounds good, yeah. Let's start off with the call. First, we have Peter. Peter, you're in New Jersey? Yes, hi, Father Mitch. Merry Christmas. Thank you very much, and the same to you and your family. What can we do for you today? Thank you. This is Peter, your Protestant friend from New Jersey. I was always curious, uh, what is a day like in the life of a priest? Do they have a schedule that they have to keep? Do they have, a meal to, do they have meals together? Um, do they have someone cook for them? And uh, is it also a little easier if they are in a rural parish? Thank you. All right. Do you want to take any of that? Uh, well, I'll let you start. You're the priest. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've hung out with priests, so I know they hang out with, with lay folks from time yeah, to time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, um, there would be a variety of things. You know, uh, on one hand, there would be some hard-fixed points in the day. Uh, at a parish, uh, celebrating Mass. You know, what time does the parish have daily Mass? Because that's something that's offered every day in churches. And the priest has to work around that schedule. Because uh, some urban s situations, Mass might be later than in a uh, country setting, rural setting. So that's, that's a hard point. Then, you know, a priest has a, an obligation. He takes a vow. A promise, a solemn promise, that when he's ordained a deacon, he will pray at different times in the day. That's called the Liturgy of the Hours. Now, it's uh, not doesn't take hours to do, but it's set at different hours of the day. So there's morning prayer, midday and noon and afternoon, and evening and night prayer. And it's to consecrate the day with prayer set at different times, and it's the church's prayer plus his own private prayer. Then the, it varies from priest to priest. You know, I work here at the television studio, so I have to be here for the scheduled programs. And yet there's also this open time when you're counseling people. If you're a parish priest, you're dealing with a lot of uh, work on administration. You know, this is, uh, there's a lot, always a lot to do with paying the bills. You have various people who are sick and in the hospital you need to go visit, uh, or homebound and sick, bring them the sacraments. And then the, the problems that come up with uh, people needing counsel, that's fairly common uh, among, uh, in a priest's day. And then the other reality, too, is, you know, uh, what I was saying before, they, they call us father. Uh, you're a father, right? Father of four, yep. 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 And do you say, okay, 7 o'clock, <laughs> I'm off the clock. You kids are on your own. I'm going to watch TV. Does that work? Nope. Nope. And if, it, and if it does for me, it doesn't for my wife, so she'll let me know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the same thing for us. You know, if somebody's sick and dying at 2 in the morning, it's like a dad when the kid is sick. You get up, you take care of it. So, and so there are these unscheduled uh, realities, plus parish groups. Um, it, it's pretty busy life, you know. I, I wouldn't say that most priests are sitting around eating bonbons all day. There's plenty of work to do. Um, and so that, that would be pretty typical. You know, we put together a video uh, recently. We, we posted on our website, myhighcalling.com, 
titled A Day in the Life of a Priest, mm -hmm. um, where we just followed a priest. And what we wanted to show was that you know, priests are ordinary men who do ordinary things. Granted, they have a fixed schedule that's tied to the extraordinary, super ordinary work that, that they do, that you do. Um, but they, they like a good cup of coffee. Uh, they like to play basketball. Some even hunt, you know? <laughs> but uh, they, they're ordinary men who like to do ordinary things. You know, I used to work out with a priest, right? And yeah. So that's important to be thinking about, yeah. It is, and it's important for priests to include that part in their, uh, of life in their day. Yeah. along with hobbies. But the other thing I would say too, this is one of the main characteristics that I've sensed of the priesthood. We get invited to many of the most intimate moments of life. We're oftentimes there to baptize near birth. We're there at death. I mean, being at somebody's death is one of the most intimate experiences of life, getting them ready to meet Jesus. That's pretty powerful. And then you also are there, you hear the confessions and they tell sins and admit to being wrong when they might not do that in other parts of life. You feed people, you know, like a dad. You know, you're, you're a father as you give Holy Communion. You say things nobody else says in our culture. Who goes around saying, the Lord be with you? We get to say that. Hmm. And we get a response. There's and one of the few things we do is, we, or one of the few places it still goes on, at church we get people to sing. Our culture doesn't sing much anymore. Mm -hmm. And this, the, there are all these very, we're there at their marriages, we prepare them for marriage. Again, that's a very intimate moment, you know, where you're in, invited in to help people work through how to argue, how to balance budgets, all the things. And they invite us into these aspects of life. Mm -hmm. And that's also one of the most important characteristics of what we do. We have a studio question. Sir, where are you from? Hello, good evening, Father Midge, doctor. I'm, my name is Justin and I'm from Newburgh, Indiana. Indiana, great to have you here. Thank what you. can we do for you? Thank you very much, Father Mitch. Happy holidays to you both as well. Thank and thank you. you very much for feeling my question. At our home parish at St. John the Baptist in Newburgh, Indiana, my wife Rebecca and I are attending a Bible study course hosted by our friend Jeff Sickman there. And six days ago, he posed a question to us. He was talking about how the religious life has lessened over the decades in the male and female respects. He posed a question to our largely lay class and he asked us if we if if we should and if there was any way we might be able to do anything about that situation and i was wondering if you either one of you had any thoughts about that please very good and and again i want to emphasize as i did earlier it's not only vocation to religious life and priesthood it's also the vocation to marriage that's suffering suffering a lot so what for as lay folk yeah. Uh, in a parish, what can they do? Lots of things. <laughs> yeah. So first and foremost, exactly. I would say pray, right? There was a recent study that came out that I was going through. 80% of all current seminarians come from approximately 20% of uh, the parishes in, in the United States of America. And what's interesting about that stat is of that approximate 20%, all of them have either a perpetual adoration chapel or, or some kind of vocation ministry. So it highlights, if nothing else, the importance of praying for vocations, right? And can I underline that with a, a, a real case from one diocese? Yeah. I'll leave it unnamed. The bishop instituted, every parish had one day of prayer and adoration of the Blessed Sacrament for vocations a month. Yeah. And they rotated. Every day of the month was covered by a parish. Yeah. Vocation soared. His successor stopped it. He said, no, we don't want to do that anymore. And the vocations went down. Uh, it's a classic uh, example. Yeah, and what we have to understand here, too, is that, you know, God has desired ends, and He's given us chosen means, right? Uh, 
the principal means by which we share in his outgoing mercy and love is prayer, right? God doesn't need our prayers to act, but he chooses to use our prayers to act. And the more we pray, the more vocations there will be. Uh, the vocation crisis isn't a lack of, of God inviting men, it's the lack of men responding. And as we've already discussed, the power of prayer is, is massive, it's huge. The other thing, and there's a lot there, but the other thing is um, a Pew survey was released um, just asking men who are in the seminary and even priests, Father Mitch, you may have been a part of the, the survey, I don't know, <laughs> but you know, when did you first start thinking about the priesthood? And an overwhelming majority of them said, I was asked. Mm -hmm. So what I would pose to our viewing audience is, when was the last time you asked someone if they, if you thought a man, maybe you saw him in an adoration chapel, 25, 26, there he is praying. Why not ask him if he's thinking about the priesthood? We, we plant seeds and we might not see the fruit, but we plant seeds. You know, if, if we can get involved in our uh, local parishes, it goes a long, long way. A lot of the men tell me they started to receive the call by altar serving. Do we have boy altar service? That goes a long way. I know some parishes will um, make annual pilgrimages to ordinations. To, uh, there, there are very, very few things powerful, at least for me in my experience, than going to an ordination and just watching it, just being there present, it, just so powerful. Mm -hmm. uh, pilgrimages, is your parish going on a pilgrimage? What, what, what kind of pilgrimages do you go on? Because inviting men to go on pilgrimages. It's, in the end, I think, Father Mitch, about encountering Christ. In, and Christ. I would add also retreats. Yes. Taking yep. time to go on a retreat. You know, taking that time to get away from everyday life and pray uh, and have quiet. Hmm. You know, hmm. we live in a noisy world. So to have the quiet in before the Blessed Sacrament, especially if possible. Especially. And, you know, EWTN and a lot of other places are starting to put the uh, adoration of the Blessed Sacrament, it'll be live, where you can get an app and be there as people are adoring the Blessed Sacrament in some place or other. And you can find those online. And if you can't be at a Blessed Sacrament chapel that day, you might find it online and enter into adoration. Christ is present with you. Mm. You're not in that chapel, but He's present with you. Yeah. And being that, you know, being even watching online would be a help. Yeah. Ready for another question? Or do you have anything else well, on that? Just to, with, yeah, yeah, with adoration, we were talking about intimacy and divine intimacy. Again, the language, mm -hmm. you know, adoratio, ad ora, mouth to mouth. This is intimate, mm -hmm. intimate communication. Mm -hmm. um, so if, if you're um, a, a, a lay member, a, a, your local parish, go to God, implore him, beg him. I mean, what is the passage, James chapter 5, verse 16, verse 17, uh, the fervent prayer of a righteous person is powerful in its effects. Yes. The, the, the fervent prayer, the, the Greek, diomai, it's just not asking, you know, God for, for something. It's, it's begging, it's imploring. Mm -hmm. It, it comes from the deepest place of faith and conviction. This needs to be our disposition. This needs to be our conviction. You know, we have extraordinary vocation directors across the country doing extraordinary yes, things. But Very every single Catholic is an associate vocation director, if you will, reaching out to, to, to folks who they think might have vocation and to start that conversation that might end up leading to a conversation with a vocation director. A lot of baby steps are needed. And, you know, with the High Calling program, we're ready to step in to help that man take the next step for sure. And I think for your Bible study or groups like your Bible study, one of the things you could do is organize an evening of prayer once a month. It doesn't have to say, oh, my whole life will be all up. No. Start off once a month <laughs> and then invite a few other people to join you. I said, we're going to pray for more priests and nuns and brothers and monks. You know, we're going to pray for that. And would you join us? Ask your pastor to help you and see if he'll expose the Blessed Sacrament. 
and get uh, people say, we'll do this just for an hour once a month, like on first Friday or something. It's a good day or the first Saturday. That would be a great way to do it. And then see if it leads to more. It should probably lead to vocations. We have another question from our studio audience. Ma'am, where are you from? I'm from San Diego. San Diego, <laughs> California, one yes. of the prettiest towns in America. <laughs> yeah. So what can we do for you? I am wondering, as a mother of small children in a very counter-Catholic culture, how do you recommend raising your kids in an environment of seeking instead of self-serving, like seeking to a vocation rather than seeking themselves self-serving yeah. yeah. their self-serving nature yeah. sure sure that's a good one it's a great question and really this question father mitch was at the heart of john paul ii's document mm -hmm. in, in 93 on on priestly formation because he saw this 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 need for more and more more and more um, to answer the question, I go back to the importance of nurturing the proper disposition to be not focused on self, but out. So as, as a mother and, and as parents, I encourage all parents, again, first and foremost, pray, right? Because uh, the, the, the more a family prays together, the, the more the family is going to open itself up to God and, and who God is. And the more you pray, the more grace you're going to receive. And as you do that, certainly um, there's going to be a movement in, of God having you looking outward. And then you begin to ask the questions. And as a mother, I would really encourage you to do this. What more can we do? Uh, I, going to convalescent homes. Uh, you know, there's an increase in, in the homeless community, certainly in California. I'm originally from California and in Southern California, you don't have to look very far. Um, how can you serve the homeless community? I'm sure there's plenty of shelter homes in San Diego County. Um, so asking those kinds of questions, because what you're doing then is you are disposing your children to be aware of what's around you. Uh, that no, it's just not about me, myself, and I. Um, it's just not about the ego drama, but in the end, the theodrama in, in which God is the center. God is the lead actor. And if we can do that, pray first, and as you abide in God, you will learn the language of existing for other. And this, this plants deep, deep seeds. Uh, the video that was shown in the beginning, um, it showed a young man who's discerning, and he, um, he's currently in the seminary. And I, I did a video piece with him, another video piece with him a few weeks ago, and he was telling me more about his journey, and he comes from a Catholic family, Whose, whose mom, and I think he has some aunts who are religious, they devoted all of their time to adoration and they were involved in the community. So he was just oriented, right? He was oriented to be thinking about the priesthood and guess what? Folks came up to him and say, hey, have you thought about the priesthood? And so it was a, a combination of a lot of things sure. that led oh, him to the place of saying yes. Yeah. So I have another call from Mike in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Mike? What can we do for you? Uh, yes, uh, Mitch. Um, I have a question for um, Mr. Holcraft and or Dr. M. I listened to the reference about brokenness of seminarian applicants, uh, the broken relationships and families, sounds like serious dysfunctional situations, possibly even unchurched people, you know, applicants originally. Uh, I'd like to know how they specific, how do you specifically address these aspects in their formation psychologically with like MMPI, Myers-Briggs type psychological testing, intense psychological counseling, intense spiritual correction. And lastly, did, did Mark Wahlberg's film, Father Stu, have any current impact or possibly any future impact for, you know, seminaries coming out of situations like this, which are rough hewn and, like I said earlier, unchurched? Yeah, thanks. Yeah. We have a, just a couple of minutes, so yeah, try to answer that. Well, quickly, I'll start with the second question. There are men in our program right now because of Father Stu. Yeah. I, which, it, to me, that's the power of drama, right? And, and he was a broken man yeah. that... Yeah, 
Can, yes. You know, and they probably could resonate. Yeah. And then in terms of the counseling, I mean, things like MMPI, that's a psychological test. We took that in the 60s. And, and they still take it. For us in the high calling program, this pre-acceptance phase, um, what we do is, as they, they have mentors and, and spiritual directors, they, uh, they are receiving a theological formation that's drawing them in, uh, deeper into their brokenness and the things that need to, they need to work on. And in many cases, in my experience, they can work through that. No <laughs> doubt, you know, the psychologicals, that, that's all very important. But, um, you know, psychology itself and, and the value of psychology, and it has a great place, um, it, it, it turns to the queen of sciences, right, in theology, um, faith seeking understanding. T together, certainly, the man can indeed work through his brokenness. The, the phone call I received a few weeks ago, the man, when he was talking about his healing, it was just bring, in faith and conviction, bringing Jesus in, into his moments of brokenness, and it just did wonders for him. Yeah. There's still more work to do, but. Yeah, yeah. And, and that be ongoing. And sometimes you have to say that some people, they just can't really handle the life of seminary and priesthood, and that's fine. Yep, yep. But others, you know, there's, there's a tremendous amount of healing, also for the married. But one of the things I can't heal is that we've run out of time. <laughs> so again, if you want to find out more about the Avila Institute, Institute's High Calling program, go to myhighcalling.com, myhighcalling.com. Thank you, Joseph, for being with us. Appreciate you being part of our program. Thank you, Father Mitch. And may the Lord bless all of you to follow your vocations and to help others listen to Jesus in following theirs. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And we can bring you this program and all the other programs we have only because the network is brought to you by you. So please remember to keep us in between your gas bill, your electric bill, and your cable bill. And we'll then be able to pay all of our bills too. God bless you and thank you.